0: Astonishing Legends is supported by Harry's.com, Squarespace, The Great Courses Plus, and Movement Watches.
1: And we're back. In a brief bit of news, we are currently retooling our website, so excuse the limitations of functionality on our existing one. It may be the first of the year before our new one is up, which will include a new store and shortly after that, some exciting new options for merchandise. That's right, we're completely shooting ourselves in the foot with regard to holiday shopping, but for us, it's more important that things be right than rushed. In an odd twist
2: of events, the theory's episode was running a little too long. <laughs> so we've decided to break it into two parts. We'll release the second part as a bonus show, commercial-free, in a few days, whenever we can get it finished, so that when your family starts discussing politics at the dinner table over the Thanksgiving holiday, for those of you in the States, you can just plug in your headphones and have some Mothman with your turkey and dressing. Forrest, where do you go this time of year to see your family? I just get out my
1: compass and I start walking north. Useful. Yeah. <laughs> Fear not, however, there will still be three more shows before we break for the year after the Mothman series is concluded, and they should be good. What are we doing again for them, Scott? I thought you were... Is that me? Yeah. I thought you were figuring that oh, out. Okay.
2: <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. I have adopted the concept of ultra-terrestrials, beings and forces which coexist with us, but are on another time frame. That is, they operate outside the limits of our space-time continuum, yet have the ability to cross over into our reality. This other world is not a place, however, as Mars or Andromeda are places, but it is a state of energy. John A. Keel, The Mothman Prophecies. Join us tonight for the first half of our final episode on The Mothman.
2: All right. So I think it's time for us to recap last week's episode for us because there's a lot to keep track of here, right?
1: Well, there's a lot of crazy stories to keep a
2: lid on. I think we safely went deeper than most people go on the Mothman and and we're not done yet.
1: (laughs) You know what? It's a lot more stories we talked about and covered that you're not going to get in an average article. I'll tell you that. Yeah. If you want to go beyond that. And even if you read like 10 articles, you're going to get most of the same story. Yeah. You have to read the books. Yeah, that's
2: what we do. We read the books and the articles. And then we got the research core too. And it's a lot of information that comes together.
1: You have to really pull from different sources and uh, actually entirely different materials to get this documentaries, clips on YouTube, not only books by great authors who've made a lifetime studying this stuff. but And also
2: books by authors named Gray, Gray Barker. That's right. Well, you
1: said great authors. I was thinking, I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't say pun. great It didn't authors. really work. No, right. Yet. It didn't work. Yeah. Sorry,
2: folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's recap. Last week, we talked about the mom who saw the disco UFO wizard over the playground. My favorite
1: new band name. Disco and, Wizard. Yeah, I think Disco Wizard <laughs> or
2: Disco UFO Wizard or whatever. Not bad. Yeah, I well,
1: of course it all reminded me of the man who fell from Earth, Ziggy Stardust. Yes. That whole stuff. thing. That, and it's around the same time period. Yes, early it 70s. It is. Yeah. So she saw this thing floating
2: over the playground at her kids' school while she was waiting to pick them up. We also talked about, especially in relation to that story, the idea that maybe these sightings are so strange because whatever is happening or whatever is appearing is actually influenced by the witness's own mind. Yeah, absolutely. You see what you are either able to see or can handle. We also went with John Keel as he took nine people out to the TNT area in Point Pleasant in search of the Mothman, where eyewitness Connie Carpenter saw two glowing red eyes in the back of the abandoned factory just as they were leaving and had seen nothing in there. The rest of the group then saw something running behind the building into the woods after hearing a large metal object fall from the structure with a loud bang, Keel himself did not hear that from inside the building. To add to all of this, Mary Mallette was bleeding from her ear at this point. Needless to say, they left the TNT area. Keel, however, returned alone and encountered a strange, what he called, zone of fear that he bravely experimented with, determining that it was a highly localized area that made him petrified when he stood within it or passed through it, even in his car. He was otherwise unable to figure out what it was. He speculated that it might be what he called ultrasonic sound, which he thought might reproduce a feeling of terror, and we discussed the idea of what is now referred to as infrasound as being a possible cause of that. And in fact, we went back to the Dyatlov Pass episode to discuss that a little bit, because that was the conclusion that Donny Icar had reached at the end of his book, although seemingly a little half-heartedly, about what might have caused the kids to run out of the tent into the night.
1: Well, it is a proven phenomenon. Yes. uh, With ultra-low, below-19 hertz sound that in some people, it will produce feelings of uneasiness, unrest, trepidation, all-out terror. I don't know if I'd go that far.
2: Finally, we demonstrated how Keel started to receive bizarre messages from his network of contactees that seemed designed to demonstrate omniscience to him, as well as to portend disastrous future events, only to find that just enough facts about what he was hearing would be wrong and therefore make it impossible for him to actually warn anyone about anything. All of these events seemingly culminated in the collapse of the Silver Bridge, brought about by the failure of I-Bar 330 at joint C-13 at 5 p.m. on December 15th, 1967, taking 46 lives. So this is the theories episode. These are sometimes our favorite to do because they're not bound by much more than our observations combined with the Astonishing Research course, perspective on things and all the combined knowledge that we've accumulated in the preparation of the show. So it's a lot more fun. This is how we're going to break this one down. We took a look at a lot of topics we want to discuss regarding the events in the region, and we came up with a little more than a dozen concepts that we want to share with you guys. So we're going to take these on one at a time until we get through all of them, if that sounds okay to you guys. I can't hear you, but I'm assuming that you're saying yes. <laughs> Either that or you've already pressed stop on your podcast player. Okay, Forrest, I think we should probably start out. It was hard to figure out what order to discuss this stuff in, but I wanted to go back in history and take a look at the legend and the myth of the Thunderbird, Yeah, the idea behind that and how that plays into Native American culture. And also one of my favorite things is the Garuda, which oh, yeah. is really cool because when I tweeted that picture of the 1975, first edition copy of The Mothman Prophecies that Astonishing Legends now owns. It says right on the cover, this was 75, under The Mothman Prophecies, it says, an investigation into the mysterious American visits of the infamous feathery Garuda. (laughs) And I was like, what is a Garuda? Yeah. I had to look it up and so did the Ark and they dug it up for us. And this is from uh, Wikipedia. A large mythical bird-like creature or humanoid bird that appears in both Hindu and Buddhist mythology. Garuda is the Mount Vahana of the Lord Vishnu. Garuda is the Hindu name for the constellation Aquila. The Brahmini kite and phoenix are considered to be the contemporary representations of Garuda. You have to see this Wikipedia page. We have the link in our show notes. It's very cool, but it does not look like the Mothman at all. But I think that what Kiel was trying to do when he wrote the book was
1: connect it to some kind of lore that made sense to people in a way. There's two aspects of this. One, it's not a new phenomenon, even from the 70s onward. This is a very ancient concept. Now, we talked about the griffin, the garuda kind of fit in with the hybrid animal or even hybrid humanoid type animals, especially a bird, something with wings. Wings are very central to this whole idea. But with the garuda, which is kind of strange, is that it's Lord Vishnu's mount but it's kind of a dude. It's right. It's representational, but it's a man, a winged man, sometimes with a white face, but he's a golden god himself, or just a very mythical spiritual beast that has a very specific purpose, but huge. It's said to have blocked out the sun right. when it passed over. So since the beginning of time and uh, human beings and storytelling... It's a very iconic image, very much part of everybody's spiritual folklore. Well, it's
2: interesting you should say that because the next place that
1: I want to go after
2: mentioning the Garuda at the very least is the legend of the Thunderbird, which is really something I want to thank ARC member Marissa Ball for digging up some really good information on the Thunderbird and including this. According to the mythology of many Native American tribes, the Thunderbird was a huge bird of prey that soared through the skies on enormous wings, bringing thunder and rainstorms to the lands below. It was once assumed that this creature was completely imaginary, but cryptozoologists are no longer quite so sure. This information is pretty fascinating because there's a lot in common here, and the
1: legend of the Thunderbird is pervasive throughout Native American cultures for generations. One thing about the Thunderbird I remember is that with Native American cultures, it was a time to uh, get everybody protected. The Braves would gather the women together and shelter them, and the children, because it was bound to pick something off. Right and carry it away. So that's also another aspect of this. There's great respect, but there's also great fear and caution when these things appear. So it's also a warning and it's a foreboding kind of sign that something's about to happen, or you better protect yourself.
2: Right. And supposedly the thunder sound comes from the wings flapping. That's what they say. Right. I've heard that of the thunderbird. Mm-hmm. But there's been cases more recently where these things have turned up all over the world in recent history and going way back. There's actually one story of a man named Clyde Smith who on April 10th of 1948, along with his wife and someone else, a man named uh, Les Bacon, were in overland Illinois when they saw a large object flying over them. It was so big they thought it was an airplane until it flapped its wings. That was another sighting of a huge, huge bird that four people saw and it freaked them out. And there's another tale that comes to us from 1940 when naturalist Robert Lyman, was in the Black Forest region of Pennsylvania. And he saw something down on the ground with its wings spanning the entire width of a road. When he got up to it, it of course flew away, but when he got up to it, he measured how wide the road was. And he said that it was 20 feet across. That's more than twice the wingspan of the Andean condor. And I've seen actually the California condor at the zoo here in Santa Barbara. They have them, they're huge, they're amazing. I took my son up there on the train. These are sightings that maybe have lend ideas to the Native American idea of these thunderbirds. Maybe they're giant condors, and maybe they're just birds of prey, and maybe that's a misunderstanding. But there's more to it than all of that. And one of the things that Marissa had dug up in the arc too, was these artifacts that came from a place known as the Smith Site in New Hampshire, which was mm-hmm. excavated, I think, in the 19, late 1960s, about the same time, oddly. In fact, it might have even been 1967. And it was an Algonquin site where they found lots of artifacts. But one of the things they found, and we have a picture of it in the links and in the show notes, is a pendant that is a Thunderbird. And it is the one that, when you see it, if you've been interested in the Mothman at all, you've seen this before. It's a very interesting sort of almost X-shaped man-like creature. And it has two holes, which the archaeologists say is for suspending it on a chain, on a necklace. Right. Right. But the holes are exactly <laughs> where, where the, the
1: eyes eye, should be, where the
2: yeah. eyes should be on yeah. any of the modern depictions of the right. mothman, so there's a question there for me: Was that so it could be a necklace, or
1: was that a representation of yes, what it actually looked like? Well, the scientist aspect, and those that are skeptical will say, of course it was just to loop through a necklace, but we're always trying to second guess what ancient peoples meant by their art and their their petroglyphs and, and uh, their hieroglyphics. But these things existed. Now, the one that you often see, and this is a whole other branch here, is uh, kind of medieval drawings of of people that had uh, faces in their chest. Yes. And no heads, which that always reminds me of what the Mothman looks like. Yeah. The the, the headless creature, but with a, uh, which seems really impractical, especially if you're carrying a large bundle of logs or something, it's smashing against your face. Yeah. You'd mention this maybe in part one, the Argentavis, that giant prehistoric bird which they can estimate the uh, the wingspan size as up to 23 feet. Oh, this is the one in the picture with the uh, doctor at the Museum of Natural History, I think, or one, or some museum. Yeah, I think you, that, that's, That yeah, bird, yeah, uh, the it's amazing. I mean, it looks
2: like a crow, but it's, as I said in the earlier episode, it's the size of a bus.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and it's uh, possibly as large as between five and six and a half feet tall, they estimate. So, yeah. But it
2: looks like a bird. It has a head and yeah, a it neck. Yeah, it
1: is, right. It is very The Mothman much, uh, does not have a neck. I don't know if anyone
2: <laughs> listening has ever seen... Yeah. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. But there's a point at oh. which you got to say to the Mothman, and I'm going to leave out the bad word, yeah.
1: get a neck. <laughs> he has no neck. He has no, no neck. <laughs> but these things existed, incredible beasts. Yes. Like we were talking about in the Bigfoot Ostman story episode, there was a gigantopithecus black, yes. e, black yes. eye, almost nine feet tall or around there. And they, they can deduce that from the fragment of jawbone and extrapolate out what they think the size is. But that's a nine-foot-tall ape. Yeah. Used to exist, they believe. So... When you think like, oh, that's impossible, and I know I was kind of bagging on the idea of a uh, of a heavy man bird <laughs> flapping around and being able to lift itself. Well, you that's know, the other st- thing... strange creatures have happened now, we're, and one, we're going to talk yeah. cryptids in a minute. Yeah,
2: but we'll like, talk cryptids. But right. to your point, though, it's and just to remind you yeah. and me and our listeners, the times that this thing was seen flying, it was not flapping or anything; it was defying the laws of physics.
1: You can toss out aerodynamics, yeah. <laughs> and lift, yeah, because this thing seemed to like swooped up straight into the air and then took off from one description. These things don't need to rely on air to move. So who knows what they, how they get around uh, wherever they're from, but here they seem to have a lot of ease and a lot of speed. Boy, every time I see a new ad from one of the big shaving razor companies, they've got some new gimmick they've come up with. Either it vibrates or it warps the space-time continuum. (laughs) I know, and and those gimmicks aren't free either. You'd know that if you bought a pack of razor cartridges in the past 15 years. Right, and you'll also probably know by now that most of those add-ons don't really matter for a close shave. All you really need are multiple sharp blades made from high-quality steel in a cartridge that pivots so it contours through your face and some kind of glide strip. Well... Harry's has all of that. They do, and for about
2: half the price of those big name brands. But you can offer a blade cartridge for two bucks when you control the whole supply chain. Harry's makes their super sharp blades in their own factory in Germany, which means they can
1: sell to you direct over the internet with low prices and high quality. Harry's gets your face baby smooth, and then their line of lotions and creams protect and soothe. And they smell great too. When you become a subscriber, their concierge-level customer service means you'll always have all the supplies you need, based on how much you shave. Harry's knows you might
2: still be skeptical you can get all this for such a great price. So why not try out their free trial set, which includes a razor, a five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel, and all you have to pay is $3 for shipping. In fact, they're so confident you're going to love their products that Harry's has a special offer just for our listeners. Enter the promo code legends at checkout to get their really popular post
1: shave balm for free. That's right. Go to harrys.com that's h-a-r-r-y-s.com and enter the code legends at checkout to get your free trial set plus a free post shave balm.
2: That's harrys.com and use the promo code legends.
0: Hi, my name is Emily Gorey, and Scott and Forrest want to thank you for partaking in tonight's episode of Astonishing Legends.
2: Well, listen to this story. This is something that was a collaboration between uh, Marissa and our more recent ARC member, Terry Favre. This is pretty fascinating. She had cited an article that says the following. In the late 1800s, an Arizona newspaper called the Tombstone Epitaph is said to have published a report and photograph of an alleged dead big bird, in quotes, with its wings stretched out to reveal a wingspan of 10.8 meters, or around 35 and a half feet. If this photograph could be verified as genuine and studied, it might disclose whether the bird was really a teratorn, but it has apparently been lost, and the accompanying newspaper report cannot be traced either. However, Terry found the actual article. There is no photo in the article, because I don't think they could print photos at that time in the newspaper. But I wanted to read this just for everyone to enjoy. April 26th, 1890, the Tombstone Epitaph. The main headline saying, found on the desert. And with a subheadline, a strange winged monster discovered and killed on the Huachuca Desert. I'm not sure I said that right. And forgive me if I didn't. And if you're laughing at me, you can send me the customary pronunciation <laughs> emails that we get after every episode. Yeah. All, right. <laughs> All right. So I just want to read this. A winged monster resembling a huge alligator with an extremely elongated tail and an immense pair of wings was found on the desert between the Whetstone and Huachuca Mountains last Sunday by two ranchers who were returning home from the Huachucas. I'm going to to say that over and over, apparently. <laughs> yeah. The creature was evidently greatly exhausted by a long flight and, when discovered, was able to fly but a short distance at a time. The two men, who were on horseback and armed with Winchester rifles, gained sufficient courage to pursue the monster and after an exciting chase of several miles succeeded in getting near enough to open fire with their rifles and wound it the creature then turned on the men but owing to its exhausted condition they were able to keep out of its way and after a few well-directed shots the monster partly rolled over and remained motionless the men cautiously approached their horses snorting with terror and found that the creature was dead They then proceeded to make an examination and found that it measured about 92 feet in length and the greatest diameter was about 50 inches. The monster had only two feet, these being situated a short distance in front of where its wings were joined to the body. The head, as near as they could judge, was about eight feet long, the jaws being thickly set with strong, sharp teeth. Its eyes were as large as a dinner plate and protruded about halfway from the head. They had some difficulty in measuring the wings as they were partly folded under the body, but finally got one straightened out sufficiently to get a measurement of 78 feet, making the total length from tip to tip about 160 feet. The wings were composed of a thick and nearly transparent membrane and were devoid of feathers or hair, as was the entire body. The skin of the body was comparatively smooth and easily penetrated by a bullet. The men cut off a small portion of the tip of one wing and took it home with them. Late last night, one of them arrived in this city for supplies and to make the necessary preparations to skin the creature, when the hide will be sent east for examinations by the eminent scientists of the day. The finder returned early this morning, accompanied by several prominent men who will endeavor to bring the strange creature to this city before it is mutilated.
1: Anybody get a photo? Yeah, that's the (laughs) thing.
2: As I just mentioned earlier, there is supposedly a picture of this creature somewhere, but... It can't be found. So, this is some digging that we'd have to really get down Oh, so deep they supposedly is a photo. That's what they say. Yeah. First of all, how would you haul something that big anywhere in that day and age? That's I mean, a... it
1: would be quite a production. It's <laughs> a lot of chicken.
2: Yeah, know. and it's not going to smell good after, you know, not too mm-hmm. long so in the you desert. Gotta,
1: you got to get it marinated quickly.
2: Just like the sea creature that the men Are found, talking, the fishermen The found.
1: Japanese fishing trawler? Yeah, that told in what they one? thought
2: might have been a pleosaur or something. And
1: Now, there is a photo of that thing. Because yeah. there happened to be a guy, and I can't remember if he was a scientist or a journalist, just happened to be on board. But the story I remember, and it was in Omni magazine when I first saw it appear, they brought it up in a net. And this thing definitely had a neck on it. Yes. A, very much a dinosaurish neck. And it was in the net. And basically the description was, it just looked crusted over. It looked deep fried. And then, of course, now that it's out of the water, it's under its own weight. It cracks open. And I guess what issued forth was a stench so foul. Yeah, The captain said, no, 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 you know what? We got like $100,000 worth of fish on this boat. Cut this thing loose. Get it off. Yeah. Uh, Because it was just really gross. But a guy happened to take a photo of it before they dumped it over. That's all they have. But at least they have that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's true. You never know, got a a musty old
2: piece of dinosaur in your nets. But this thing doesn't sound at all like the Mothman, but it is huge. I will say cryptid. Well, yeah, cryptid. And and when you look at these kind of stories and you're trying to figure out if it's a hoax or whatever, it was interesting to me the detail that, you know, in order to measure the wings, they had to pull them out from under it. That's the kind of thing that you've either got a very creative (laughs) journalist or someone who's... Got an eye for a, a detail that makes a story feel more real. Yeah. But how could something that large fly? Well, and we talked about this before. There have been reports throughout the years, especially in remote areas, of people seeing something that looks kind of like a pterodactyl.
1: The leatheriness of this one.
2: Yeah, it yeah. sounds. And with the claws and that had two legs in front of its wings yeah. or whatever. The pterodactyl, if its wings were folded, that's where they would be, right, right. up near the front of the bo- So And the head, eight feet long. Was it pointed? Was it a pterodactyl head with a big horn on it? I mean, pterodon, you know, but it's. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, especially with the teeth, too, because you're now having to, it's carnivorous. It's having to hold on to prey. Yeah. Which is the purpose of teeth and to shred. So there's two things. Either this thing, it's probably more believable about these lake and sea creatures that are mythical. I don't know if you saw that brand new Nessie photo that surfaced. No, intended. I intended Yeah. About, <laughs> about uh, <laughs> three or four weeks ago. But it looks pretty good. If it's a hoax, it's pretty well done. If it's not a hoax, it's the actual photo. Looks pretty darn good because you get oh. a little bit of the swirling action you can notice there. It's much easier to believe that something prehistoric leftover has survived in the very deep oceans because we don't know everything that's down there. That's true. The Hulu could still be down there. Very well. I don't know. It's really hard to pronounce. I kept reading it over and over again. And everybody says Cthulhu. So there you go. Yeah. But, you know, who knows what's down there? So the idea that there could be just things living and eating and, and feeding off of a very deep depth down in the deep, dark oceans is more plausible, or even in Loch Ness, because it's a very deep lake. Or by cow, Yeah. But something in the air that flies and on land, you tend to think we've seen most everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, at this point... This is really tiny. You know, people... Again, new species are being discovered all the
2: time. Yeah. On the other hand, species are going extinct all the time. And it's, it's true. Yeah. entirely yeah. possible that
1: 200 years ago, someone might have been seeing the last of something bizarre that had managed to survive. Exactly. That's my point. Maybe it's the last one and they shot it. Yeah. Know, and Or something maybe has been able to survive for this long, just hidden. The other point is that it's from another place. Let's talk about this Alaska sighting that you just mentioned. This was actually in
2: October of 2002. There was a sighting in Anchorage, and this is an article that we're referring to on CNN.com. A bird the size of a small airplane was recently said to be seen flying over southwest Alaska puzzling scientists. The newspaper quoted residents in the village of Togiak and Manakotak, as saying the creature, like something out of the movie Jurassic Park, had a wingspan of 14 feet, or 4.6 meters, making it the size of a small airplane. At first, I thought it was one of those old-time otter planes, the paper quoted Moses Kupchiak, 43, a heavy equipment operator from Toljiak, is saying. Instead of continuing toward me, it banked to the left, and that's when I noticed it wasn't a plane. Raptor specialist Phil Schimpf said the following. I'm certainly not aware of anything with a 14-foot wingspan that's been alive for the last 100,000 years. Kupchiak said the bird disappeared over the hill, and he then radioed Tojiak residents to tell them to keep their children inside. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, see, see, he knows. Yeah, he's taking it seriously. This was an issue solved, I think, with the National Geographic. It might have been even a game cam, but they had footage or a couple of stills of a very large golden eagle trying to carry off a fawn. Yes. Or just a small deer, like a juvenile deer. Which they can do. The golden eagles can. It wasn't live video uh, or it wasn't video footage. So you have just a few stills, but they're obviously in a struggle. And I think what was determined by the biologists that it's possible that yeah. a, a large eagle could carry off something, that small game like that. Now, a full-size buck? No, I don't. I think no. so, but yeah, anything smaller, sure. And a, a toddler, you know?
2: Well, in this story, there was a apparently another local resident who was a pilot, which I think there's a high number of pilots in the Alaskan regions, because well, that's the, the only way to get around. Yeah, yeah. right. He was a pilot, and I guess he originally was skeptical, but then he sighted this thing from about 1,000 feet away, and it wasn't just him, it was a plane full of people. Oh, they all saw it. Right. And his name's John Booker, and he said, the people in the plane saw him. He's huge, he's huge, he's really, really big. You wouldn't want to have your children out. <laughs> yeah. And that's crazy. And this is something its interesting to me. This is under CNN has this posted under Offbeat News. Yep, Right. And I have a category for this on my like little news readers on my iPhone <laughs> and stuff like that. Credible it, reports. Yeah, yeah. It's just like here's the weird thing. We're going to report it, but we're not really taking it seriously. And it's like, this yeah. is a big deal. This is, you know, five or six people right here who are all yeah. saying they saw something highly unusual. It goes in the offbeat news section, and then the next day, people just forget about it. And it's like, no, what, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> Get up
1: there. Figure it out. Well, that's been happening a lot lately. But that is a common tack to you have to be skeptical. Yeah. And one of our listeners, Round Daddy, yes. getting a shout out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he sent me an article about an exorcism that took place. And the article was very popular, went viral from the uh, the Indiana Star, but it's The Exorcisms of Latoya Amons. And this reporter, her name is Marissa Kwiatkowski, describes first approaching this subject matter, that they've been getting these incredible reports. And what's interesting here is you can see how the newspaper works, is that her editors did not want her to even approach this unless they could provide a very skeptical, at least a skeptical voice. So being right. neutral, but you still got to be skeptical because they're worried about their credibility. People still think that way. Of something we clearly aren't concerned with. <laughs> well, we gave, <laughs> we've given that up. Come on, if, you're, if you believe any of this. Uh, if you believe any the, of this at all. But, you know, look, we're doing it because it, that's the more entertaining angle, not trying to, at least for us, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe some people really get off on debunking and finding something rational about it. But you realize that any media outlet has to present both sides, of course. That's what you want. But they're going to lean towards the skepticism, and they have to be able to provide something to calm, even to allay people's fears, like, no, no, this is probably not real. Right. But if you want, here's the crazy part of the story. Scott and I often exchange articles, of course, through emails And it's always from the whack job news section of the newspaper or their website. It's like the news of the weird section because they can't possibly take it seriously. But you know what? Sometimes people do see strange things. And these are sober individuals who live out in the bush who know what they're looking at. One of my
2: favorite things about the Men in Black movie, which was based on all the authors that we're talking about tonight and have talked about in this series, Gray Barker and Bender and also (laughs) Keel. Right was the idea that they got all their important news from the Inquirer. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. That's how we know where to go, where well, to look. Yeah, <laughs> but well, yeah, because you, you know. know what? What's funny? I've been telling Scott this uh, for the past month. Is like every once in a while they get something right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, most of it's for entertainment purposes, not to be taken too seriously. But sometimes there's a nugget of truth in there. All right. So the other thing that
2: comes up with a lot of people, especially people who follow the Mothman story, is the idea of the Mothman having been seen at Chernobyl. Chernobyl being, which I think most people know, but it was a nuclear meltdown that took place in Russia. Our good friend, Kristaps Andresen, who his podcast is called The Eastern Border, which you've heard us mention before. We've been guests on his show and he's been guest on ours. He just did a show on Chernobyl and went very, very deep on it. And a lot of really fascinating information about how it was built and how corners were cut. And shortly after that, I'm pretty sure that he was banned from entering Russia. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, who he knows what that buttons. guy's up to. Yeah, yeah. but to something buttons. interesting, he loves to dig deep for the facts though.
2: Yes, and he said that the whole thing about the blackbird being sighted at Chernobyl or mothman being sighted yeah. at Chernobyl was undoubtedly a hoax. Yeah. And that's kind of what I had heard too over the years. He did say that colloquially the phrase blackbird applies to an area that has somewhere something really bad has happened or they'll say this is a blackbird for Russia. So uh, that, you know, goes back to the whole thing of the Raven and, and that gets biblical and all that. Yeah. And it makes sense. But he's saying that the Mothman did not appear at Chernobyl. So we're going to go ahead and say, yeah. even though they cite it, I believe they mention it at the end of the movie. I do believe yeah. that's true. And, and that's it's fun. Um, that's one of those things. It's fun. That's one of those things where they did make a little something up, <laughs> well, where like can, all the parts that yeah. I thought were
1: made up were true. <laughs> In that yeah, film, it's yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not the only one, though. I think, of course, Chernobyl is a very famous disaster yeah. now, and the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant that was certainly very horrific. And yeah, and there was a picture, you know, to the minds of the people there. But you know what? I bet not a lot of people, even ones that saw the movie, don't even really didn't even know about it. Yeah, unless you're from the region. Yeah, or alive
2: when it happened, and you might right. remember it. But speaking of the Silver Bridge, there's a picture online of something on the Silver Bridge, which, you know, yeah. I haven't researched it, but to me, I'm pretty sure that's fake too, yeah. honestly. It's like, yeah. it looks like a trick photography, frankly. Well,
1: there it's yeah.
2: not hard to put a blurry black object on a bridge in an old newspaper photo.
1: There is a mention also in the documentary Search for Mothman, which that's the one I think was produced in conjunction with the movie, that uh, one of the locals there said, I, as the guy in the documentary says, there's a wino who did see a creature underneath the bridge or near one of the pillars there, the rocker towers, right before it happened. And he reported it to the sheriff. And he was not drunk at the time. But yes, he's indigent. He's... Right, so people aren't taking him seriously. They're not taking him too seriously, although the sheriff did go down and check, I believe. But he claims to have seen something, I think that day or right around that time. So that anyway, that story's relayed by one of the local people interviewed in the documentary. Not the actual person, but... There were sightings all around, but is there a photo? I don't think there's any credible photo.
2: Well, yeah, and the only thing I know about of anyone climbing on the bridge prior to the disaster was in the Mothman prophecies, Kiel mentions that somebody came in to talk to Mary Heyer, I believe. Yeah. And Mary told Kiel, I talked to one woman who lives right by the bridge, Mary continued. She says that two days ago, she saw two men climbing on the bridge. And he said, climbing on it? She said, yes. They weren't walking across. They were climbing around the sides of it. He asked her if she was able to describe them. <laughs> Get ready for this. Yeah. Mary said, they were wearing checkered coats and black trousers. She couldn't see their faces too well because they were so far away. But she did notice their shoes. They weren't wearing boots, just ordinary shoes. She thought that was odd because of the weather we'd been having.
1: Right. But I, and didn't just want. We... by the way, we're yeah. back with the checkered... Top, checkered coat, checkered shirts, checkered the wolves, and checkered shirt. What is it with the checkered? Oh, yeah, you know, the skinwalker. Well, that's just one style option. That's a lifestyle choice, really. But the, the, it's what, weird. It is a little odd, but I think there's a very terrestrial explanation for that. Didn't we t- already talk about this? It's a story that was tied to Keel. Now, I thought that he had seen this. Apparently, Mary Heyer had seen this. Keel's interpretation, though, I do remember this part. He thought it was FBI agents. Yeah. They're government officials. They're checking out the bridge. But this is pre-disaster. And his summation, or kind of an inkling that he got, was they knew something. Right. They had gotten some information. Maybe they were monitoring him. Because of all the strange things that... uh, But he wasn't sure about the bridge. He
2: thought... No, no, he was... Exactly. He thought it was going to be the Defense Logistics Agency, I believe. He said the power plant, but I think he probably thought it was going to be the DLA where an explosion was going to happen.
1: Right. But I tend to believe that assessment, it was not a men in black or anything out of this world here. It was humans, but they were checking something out. They were looking for something. They were inspecting something. Again, that was Keel's interpretation that perhaps... They had some information that something on the bridge was going to happen and they were kind of checking it out. You know,
2: we're not finished with this topic of global sightings, but while you're here and since you took us here, I do want to say you get back into that idea of these teams of players that are playing a complex game of chess and there's more than two
1: sides and they don't really know (laughs) what the other side is doing. It's the cigarette smoking man. Mm -hmm. I agree because look, this is the one thing I, I have no proof of this, of course. But I got a really good hunch there are elements within world governments and are especially our own that just know a lot more than we do. That's well, gotta be the case. It doesn't have to be extraterrestrial really crazy, but they they when Well, if it comes to
2: premonitions, it has to be something crazy. I mean, right. if they're crawling on the bridge before its collapse, its imminent collapse, then they either know the future or something else in the area, like the presence of the Mothman right. is telling them that they need to be on the lookout for a disaster. Right. Well, it
1: doesn't even have to be that crazy because people were getting strange notes left on their door. And just really weird grammar or incorrect grammar some of the strange notes like, watch out, stay away, leave this alone. What if somebody sends a note, a very real paper note to the FBI saying that the bridge is in danger, you better watch out, stay away, whatever. They're going to send people to check it out. Right, and then they're not going to tell us about the note. They're not going to announce that. They're not here to also cause panic. This is a main artery in the Police. And again, that's the reason it was so crowded. People traveled back and forth to go shopping, and people worked on either side of the river. So at rush hour, it was packed. So if a bomb threat is called in... Imagine, you know, somebody at the FBI gets an Indrid cold call. <laughs> like, yeah. Cold call. Get it? Okay. Yeah, you got cold yeah, call. I just thought of that. Sorry. They, they get a If you get a call about anything, they got to check it out or they should. Yeah. You know, if it's like, you know, oh, Bridge, you know, Silver Bridge, whatever's how mysterious it is, or they get a funky note. Right. Like the saying, stuff that was happening to Keel. Yeah, exactly. Saying the bridge is in danger or this and that. They're going to send guys out there and they may not be dressed as G men with the black suits or more like men in black. They maybe, maybe they have were inspectors. A, like, maybe get, they were just inspectors. Exactly. Unless like you said the low-rise shoes, just regular kind of street shoes, Oxford type, is yeah. not what maintenance people would be wearing or military generally. So unless but you, were, think, you, know, in, you think you think
2: about things, dress that uniform. Every perspective that we have when we look back at something like this is based on what was reported, right, or oral history if it's been passed on and then written down. Things that happened and weren't written down you'll never know about. Like for yeah. example, and I don't know, my wife and I used to spend a fair amount of time in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And every bridge there over the Delaware River, which is a big river as well. Yeah. has a tender, a person who yeah. is in a little shack and keeps an eye on things. Now, I don't know if the Silver Bridge had that. I don't think it did. Usually, be be drawbridge-type yeah, operations. Yeah, but these are not you know. drawbridges. The right. ones well, I'm talking yeah. about over the Delaware, right. every bridge has a person who keeps an eye on things. That's probably a state mandate. Yeah, yeah and it may not be the case over the Ohio River right. in West Virginia or Ohio, but imagine that somebody was there, and they heard I bar 330 crack. Yeah, they heard a Like snap, a day a earlier. Yeah. And... Just a weird little noise, not enough to go into a cold, hard panic, because if they're looking, everything looks fine, but maybe right. they call the inspectors to come out, and I thought I heard something weird, or even a civilian says, the bridge seems super shaky, they make a phone call, Yeah, people come out. It could be just something that mundane. Yeah, you know, ag- but, again,
1: that does not sound uh, sinister to me, or like
2: sabotage
1: in any way. Right,
2: and it wouldn't be recorded. There yeah. would be no history of that, and that's why we have to speculate on it who knows if anything like that happened, but if anything like that did happen and there's an infinite variety of things like that that could have happened, we would never know. Right. Especially if maybe it happened to someone who died in the disaster. Yeah. And never told anybody.
1: Right. Hey, Scott, how many websites do you think we check out while doing research
2: on a topic? I don't know, maybe 20 to 40, depending on what it is. What I can tell you is that they're not always the cleanest and easiest to navigate. And if we want to purchase something from one of them, that can be a nightmare
1: too. Well, that's probably because they're not a Squarespace website. If they only knew how easy it is to set one up and how beautiful it would look once they published it. It really is an all-in-one solution for getting your work or your business up on the web. With Squarespace, you can experience a new
2: way to buy your domain name and choose from over 200 extensions. Then pick one of their plug-and-play templates created by the best designers in the business. Once you've got the look you want, You pick the functions you want your site to have, and then you're ready to blog, promote your physical or online business, or sell anything. Or you can just announce your special event or project. And if you're trying
1: to drum up business for your store or your homemade products, Squarespace gives you powerful e-commerce functionality with built-in search engine optimization, free and secure hosting, And the ability to customize your site's look and feel with just a few clicks. And everything's optimized for mobile platforms right out of the box. And you'll never have to patch or upgrade anything
2: yourself. Ever. Because Squarespace takes care of all of that for you behind the scenes. And in front of the scenes, they've got your back with 24-7 award-winning customer support.
1: Go poke around and see for yourself what Squarespace has to offer with a free trial. Just go to squarespace.com and start clicking around, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code LEGENDS to save 10%. Squarespace, make it beautiful. Hi, my name is Ross Woodward, and now back to Astonishing Legends with Scott Tilbrook and
2: Forrest Burst. Let's come back a little bit. I do want to talk about other global sightings. We discussed Chernobyl. The other story, and this is one of my favorites that we came across, is the story of the... Freiburg Uh, (laughs) shrieker.
1: Freiburg, Germany? Yes. You know, I've been there. Have you really? Oh, yeah. It's far southwestern Germany, right? What were you doing there? Well, I had a friend that had been going to school there. She was finishing up, so I think we traveled down to pick up the last of her stuff. And uh, it's the Albert Ludwig University of Freiburg. Oh. In um, Freiburg im Breisgau, baden Württemberg, I believe. I don't know. It was a long time ago, but it's a very beautiful area. It's founded in 1457, and it's the fifth oldest university in Germany. So it's, a, oh, wow. it's this grand old building, and it's the whole town is on the edge of the Black Forest. So uh, just beautiful, gorgeous. I love those. their ham. Isn't it nice? And the uh, <laughs> I wanted to buy a black chocolate forest cake and. Uh, when I did the ca- the conversion there, this is before the Euro, it was outrageously expensive, like $200. I mean, they're beautiful looking, but... And they have uh, cuckoo clocks and all kinds of fun stuff there. But, um, you know... Anyway, I, my, the Freiburg Shrieker. My friend is Freiberg 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 Shrieker. All, the, all this research. <laughs> it's fried It's Freiburg. Frayed. It's, frayed it's fried. It's Freiburg. The point is, is I've, I've been... It's a very old part of the country. And of course, the Black Forest is <laughs> dark and mysterious itself. Yeah. But gorgeous. Yeah. So... so I really would
2: love to go there. Yeah, yeah it was cool. So, yeah. Well, September 10th, 1978, supposedly if you believe any of this at all. Southwestern Germany in Freiburg, as you just mentioned. 21 miners. Not miners, you idiot. <laughs> like what? children? Yeah. Miners, not miners. <laughs> right. 21 miners showed up for work, and they were approaching the mouth of the mine, the opening, and they noticed a huge man standing in front of the entrance to the mine wearing a large, full-length trench coat. Aha! Uh-huh. What year was this? 1978. Okay. Not that long ago. Oh, yeah, September 10th, 1978. So he seems insanely huge. large. Mm-hmm. And then they realized when the trench coat opened up that it was wings.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So
2: uh-huh. this creature opened up these huge wings. They unfolded and it let out a shriek that the men compared to 50 men screaming or a train slamming on the brakes
1: to avoid a disaster. You got the pipes, you got to use them. I mean, I'm certainly going to... With this
2: creature, I mean, obviously it's otherworldly. What would you think it would do after that?
1: Well, it depends on what part of the country you're from. Certainly if a large man opens his trench coat, that could mean something totally different in Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) If it's at the mouth of a cave and wings come out, this is what I'm going to guess based on the earlier sightings connected is that he shot up straight into the air. That's what I would think too. But guess what?
2: He ran. Nope. Wings folded up, stood there. Just stood its ground, would not (laughs) leave. Wow. Would not leave. The miners watched it. It wouldn't go anywhere. It has freaked them out. They are traumatized. Mm. They can't figure out what to do, but they need to go to work, too. he got to punch in, yeah. Yeah, so they're trying to figure out what to do, and according to the story... He's blocking the, he's blocking the, way, he's the, blocking the entrance. He's blocking the entrance. Yeah, so they started doing busy work outside the mine at a safe <laughs> distance from this thing, like cleaning up, putting things away, uh, we're just hoping that this, this creature yeah. would go away yeah. and they could go to work. After an hour... It was still there. And so now they're like doing other stuff and they're sort of looking over at it and then they heard this huge subterranean rumbling sound. Yeah. A collapse, an explosion. They oh. looked over, fire and black smoke was belching out of the mine and the creature was well, gone. back into the gates of hell. Wherever it went, Yeah. point being, as far as they were concerned, it saved their lives. They
1: would have all died. Now, here's the button of the story. It stood its ground and kept them away, it gave them a, a warning signal, and just being uh, ominous and imposing kept them away. So, when you tie these in with these other stories that we've previously been talking about, and we're going to dish on it, but what's the purpose? of the Mothman. What's the purpose of this guy with the trench coat? Well, what's the trench coat for? Obviously, he's- It's not a trench coat. He said it was a trench coat-like thing. No, it was his wings. Yeah, no, they thought it was. Oh, yes, yes. If you take these accounts to be accurate and true, and these creatures are there and they're weird, maybe they're being misdiagnosed in a way. But the next question is, what's the purpose? Is it to cause these accidents, or is it to try and warn us of something? So here you go, something sounds more like it was protecting
2: Yes, well, the Freiburg mothman accomplished his job. The Silver Bridge one, not so
1: much. Yeah, he who knows? Well, he, I guess he could have stood at one end of the bridge and just yeah. kind of flapped around and, and freaked people out. But maybe it doesn't work that way. Who knows?
2: Well, here's the thing about this story. A lot of people think that it might be a hoax because they cannot find any corroborating information. There's no uh, press reports. There's Research has been done right. and people can't find anything To track it down, I went to one website that said maybe it was 1878 instead of 1978, maybe the year's off or something, which would make a little more sense about the behavior and the actions and how the story's told. But either way, it's a famous sort of paranormal story. The That's a good one. You
1: certainly, it clocks for me as one of the most amount of time staring at a cryptid. Yeah. I've never heard it th- that like an hour <laughs> or two later, like he's not leaving. I <laughs> to get to work. <laughs> So you you know, what do you what are you doing in the meantime, like at a poopadoo yeah. or just gonna we'll be over here in case you wanna you wanna leave. But it's a fascinating account. Yeah. It's like, you know, Fritz, run into town and grab a camera. You know, like you yeah. get an Instamatic from the local gift shop there. That's what I did when I was there. I kinda- got <laughs> of actually bought film and, and stuff while I was there. With that amount of time, that's the only thing that's kind of wonky for me is that you're spending a large amount of time staring at something totally trippy. I would send somebody in a look, if nobody's got a camera, like... Well, that's why people yeah. say, you know, this, maybe
2: the story doesn't ring true, but it's... Right, it's a, but, you know, but then again, you know what? It, it's... You can never account...
1: It can also be in a trance. That, I mean, that's
2: what happened with the Mothman. People said they well, went exactly, in trances. So.
1: Exactly. There is a psychological effect as well, as well as a, as a physical one. So you can't do too much uh, Monday morning quarterbacking here on what happened. Like, well, they should have done this, or I would have done that, and why didn't they do blah, blah, blah. So yeah. you weren't there. If they did see something that was just a weird, you know, freaky <laughs> cryptid of some kind, right? you don't know how you're going to react. Yeah. So here's another story, courtesy again of our
2: friend Kristaps Andresen, yeah. who we mentioned earlier. His show, The Eastern Border, is a very
1: entertaining podcast. He's a Latvian. He lives in Latvia. And- well, if you really want to know what it's like living there. Yeah, And and the history of uh, Russia and uh, the Baltic states there, that's the one to go to.
2: Yeah, it's a great show. And he heard what we were doing on The Mothman and he looked into the Chernobyl thing for us. And he also dug up another story that we would have frankly never known about relating to The Mothman, which I thought was this goes in the global sightings category again. And it was centered around a TV series made in 2013. Manimal? (laughs) No. And this series was a paranormal show, kind of like, you know, the ones that there's five billion of in North America right now. Right. And I guess the producers of the show had received reports that in the far eastern Russian district of Promorsky, which means next to the sea, near the town of danie Dal- wow, that
1: sounded good.
2: Uh, yeah I'll give you... <laughs> I'm, he's Christopphes is cursing me as he's listening. Dalnogorsk. Yes yeah. it, he says, what means It means, far, it means
1: far mountains, right? Yes, now.
2: it means far mountains. People are apparently in this small town being traumatized by a mothman. He describes it as a very, very, very remote place, and there's not any other cities around for many, many kilometers. And there are tigers there known as Emur Tigers. They're huge, right? Yeah, in North America, we call them Siberian tigers. You're right, right. These are gigantic creatures, hundreds of pounds. And the people are used to living with them. And one of the things that he pointed out about these tigers is that they stay away from people. They don't want to be around people. They
1: don't come out of the woods. They don't come after people. Most, even in India, when you hear stories, it's like they're usually driven by a real lack of food or water to come venturing
2: in. And so apparently what's happening is in this little town... Eight people have gone missing, and a lot of animals too, with torn remains of the missing people and animals being found in the trees.
1: Ooh, that's dragging them up there.
2: Which sounds like a tiger. That's something a tiger might do. Locals also report that everyone has seen this creature and tried to shoot it, but unsuccessfully. So there's this whole 40 minute video, which we have a link to, we'll put it in the show notes, but it is in Russian and we ourselves could not watch it. If we have any of our listeners that are bilingual and want to watch yeah. it, please enjoy it. Oh, thank you. You're pronouncing I don't know. it know. Well,
1: yeah. now, I, now I just saw your phonetic spelling here. I'm sorry, I missed that in the notes. Yeah, that's all right. Okay. But Kristaps
2: took it upon himself to translate some of the more interesting details from the video. So the areas where this mothman is appearing and where the tigers live is gigantic, and it's filled with all sorts of animals. As we said a second ago, the Siberian tigers have no reason to walk into town. Local man in the video states, quote, these tigers don't see humans as their competition, but they don't like them much either, so they actively avoid them. Not only them, but also anything made by humans, roads, cars, etc. So when we see them, we know that something has startled them. The video then states that the tiger is the apex predator, in the taiga, the forest or the region, T-A-I-G-A. These tigers are able to fight bears, and there's literally no other natural enemies that they have. At the same time, there have been only six unprovoked attacks on humans by these tigers throughout the entire 20th century in Russia. Wow. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So according to the info on this show, this mysterious creature that people have been seeing lives on the large hill of Provodnitskyi which the locals call rocks sprinkled there by God. That's the translation into English. In the beginning, they talked with the local forest keeper, kind of like a park ranger, whose forest he's responsible for, which includes the mountain where they are saying this creature lives. But it turns out neither the forest keeper nor the locals go there. The mountains have always been sacred grounds to the local tribes. Here we go again. Mm -hmm. According to local legends, they have ancient burial grounds that have been guarded by the, quote, merciless guardians of the mountain. End quote, who without mercy kill all those who trespass on their land. And not only that, whenever tourists or scientists do go into the area, they often report nausea, headaches, strange sounds and loss of sense of time. Many of them come back early from their trips, abandoning them and never wanting to return. Wow. However, during the last few years, eight people, local hunters who've been hunting nearby the forest have gone missing and haven't been found. This is reported both by the forest keeper and by another local hunter. The local hunter actually refuses to talk anymore about it. He's afraid what might happen, and he says the TV crew wouldn't believe him anyways. The forest keeper, whose name is Vladimir Yelichu, then agrees that the people are missing and says that lately the animals too have been leaving this area, especially the local bearish population. This is what they call snow leopards. The creature is similar to a mix between a bat and a huge flying man. Tall with large posture. The wingspan is reported to be 2.3 to 3 meters wide. Christophs writes, That's approximately 8.2 to 9.8 feet for those who are stuck using primitive measurements.
1: <laughs> He's got to get that dick. Man.
2: He said it has sharp, large claws on its legs and wings, also on the creature's legs. One of the claws is on the opposite side, just like a predator bird. It is never afraid. It's simply and importantly suddenly attacks people. You might spot it in the distance staring and then it would simply fly towards you and try to attack you. Also the locals note that it screams like a man, it yells. He's been seen flying by everyone in these parts and also by many tourists. Now the Japanese during the war had done some pretty atrocious experiments. Unit seven three one. Yes, we talked about that. We have talked about it. It's so horrific that I don't even want to do a show on it. I think christophe's asked me about doing a show on it once, and it's not something I'm
1: not really uh, don't think
2: I could talk about. Honestly,
1: yeah, not you. That's too much for uh, your stomach. But the what we talked about it was in connection to MK Ultra. Yeah, that you might think, well, you know, that's crazy. The government wouldn't do that on people. Well, during wartime, the Japanese did. Yeah, they did horrible experiments that made... It's the most unimaginable and the most horrific things you could possibly ever not want to imagine. Yes, including genetic ones, and
2: not too different from some of the rumors at Dulce Mesa, actually. Well, that
1: was... (laughs) Area 51 is the top secret dark place for machines, and Dulce Base is the same thing for the biological. Yeah. Well, uh, or it's like, as we say, it's Ryan styles job at the True carrie show where there was strange uh, goat men walking around and just all kinds of strange, you know, they would always make a joke about that. Yeah. The, down in the tunnels, they were doing strange hybrid experiments on people. But that's one of the old legends there about Dulce uh, Base that uh, something alien human hybrid technology is going to go on. But those who studied it said, well, really, it's just another secret base.
2: Yeah. Here's what they are apparently speculating in this video, this Russian show, which Kristops conveyed to us, was that the base, 731, was not too far away, and that maybe this creature is some kind of genetic hybrid that escaped during the war mm. experiments, and or its offspring, or something like that, these
1: genetic experiments. Generally, I would say, boy, now you're getting into... Uh, Other territory here, because we had a a listener who's starting his uh, Agama shout out here, and Sibs, and you can check out his website, ANCIVS.com. It's pretty good. He's starting a blog, and it's a mixture of stories about ancient civilizations and legends, but mixed with humor and uh, a lot of good cheer. But he's just starting out, so go check him out. Anyway, he'd contacted me through Twitter and asked, just generally, did I think the Minotaur was real could that have been possible just kind of in good nature be kind of funny there uh because he did a a funny article called the minotaur clogged a toilet in atlantis (laughs) so anyway basically he's asking about that so i turned him on to a book that i did tweet about and it's edgar casey's story of atlantis which is basically a collection of readings uh Throughout the time that he was giving readings to different people, uh, he would just explain how he did it. It wasn't an entire narrative that he just spilled out while he was kind of in a trance. As he was giving a life reading to somebody, saying like, well, you have respiratory problems because of this, you know, try this. There were a lot of home remedy kind of things. He said, oh, by the way. You were an ancient scribe in Atlantis, and you were also doing this and that. Right. The fascinating part is that, yes, over thousands and thousands of readings he gave to people, they would take out, his followers would take out bits and pieces of different topics he would talk about, and then he strung them together, and that's what formed the narrative. So if he was faking it, it's a pretty good accomplishment. Yeah. Right? Because it does form a narrative on the history of Atlantis, again, by a guy called America's Sleeping Prophet. Uh, where he was kind of in a somnambulistic trance and and talking about this. So in answer to Ansiv's, I said, well, if you read the book, it's pretty wild. Because Casey's description of Atlantis was that they had advanced technology, not like what you see now with iPhones and iWatches and everything, I and E and all that. There was basically two factions, one, a good group of people and a bad group of people. And the bad group were using their technology that they had at the time to create genetic hybrids animal human hybrids as a slave race as novelty for the rich there hmm. and the way that casey described them you could have a young beautiful woman that had feathers all over her or somebody that had snake scales that they were doing gene splicing with animals and humans which we you know that we don't even want to think about that nowadays even you know dolly the sheep was a big deal according to casey that kind of did lead to their downfall uh, there was infighting, was as good, bad, whatever, and uh, the Almighty put a stop to that and hmm. uh, destroyed the uh, the island. But before that, the good folks were able to take their knowledge and deposit them in various locations around the earth, near the Sphinx, one probably in under the Himalayas. This, yeah, in the chamber that they won't open at the Sphinx's feet, right? Yeah, I think it was under the left paw, but they have found that there is a space down there through ground penetrating radar. Anyway, long story short... Not the first time people have heard about this. So the answer to his question, is the Minotaur real? Well, going way back, there's always been stories of animal-human hybrids. And if you look at anything that we're talking about now, it's like, that's not a new idea or something fantastical or 50s science fiction. It goes way back to the beginning of humans. All right. In getting around to
2: this Mothman and these incidents in... In Russia, for example, that Kristops was talking about, he also, by the way, mentioned that they've organized hunting parties to go after this thing. And this is really interesting. This is consistent with some of what we found in Kiel's book and what you were talking about, the feeling that people were having. They said that they did find it. They came face to face with it,
1: but they couldn't shoot it because the face was human-like and somewhat sad. Oh, Yeah wow so they got a real vibe of emotion with this thing yeah again same with some of the descriptions of mothman it was very sad and seemingly trying to communicate something that it was very torn up about and it just it couldn't or it didn't have the tools to do that but that's the impression that people got that's interesting though it's able to communicate emotionally yeah. I mean, this thing, of course, frightens people when it comes swooping down. And again, that's the joke like, wait, I'm here to tell you something. Don't run away from me. And you know, it's trying to kill us. That's the reaction of people. It's just, I'm sorry, I don't care how good the message is or, or how helpful it could be. It's a red reflected eyed <laughs> winged, leathery-winged creature with big, hairy, muscular legs. So yeah. you're not going to want to stick around to see what it's got to say. You're going to want to get out of there. But that's interesting, though, that that's how it defended itself. It just appealed to the pity of the uh, the hunting party. Well, and there was another group of kids from a
2: local high school or a high school in the area that I guess went up in the mountains. And this woman reports also in the video that they went in there looking for it and that they came running out scared to death. One of them was scratched up and said it had been attacked. Ooh. And she said she tended to that kid's wounds herself. Yeah. And she said that they heard someone scream in the forest. Tourists, damn tourists. <laughs> Wait, so now whatever, he's translating what, by the way, I want to remind oh, right. you from okay. Dyatlov Pass a tourist is uh, can be a hiker or somebody that goes yeah, uh, oh know. just a, yeah yeah, uh, just an, like, a, an outdoors person, yeah, sure. an outdoors person, but this creature apparently screamed that and then they came out of there, so yeah. anyway, these are all global sightings, and I think since we've already touched on it a little bit, we should maybe talk about it just the idea of this thing maybe being nothing more than a cryptid. Now, when I say nothing more, cryptids are still fantastic things because they're creatures not known to science. And a lot of people think that the study of cryptozoology is a pseudoscience. And maybe it is, but it's still, I think it's entirely plausible that there are creatures that haven't been discovered. They're turning up every day. New species are being found even in the Amazon and in the ocean on a daily oh, basis.
1: This was just in the news. Yeah. Somebody yeah. discovered a species of snake that it's not the thread snake. The new one may have been even smaller than the thread snake but i think the biologist that discovered it named it after his wife which you can do if you're the one who discovers the new species and so the joke there from the broadcaster was that you know do you think he got any flack from his wife like (laughs) thanks for yeah now i'm associated with a tiny ugly little snake the rest of my life. Well, it might not be ugly. Some snakes are cool. Yeah, no. no it's, if you like snakes, uh, some I like folks snakes. don't. Well, there you go. Some people are just really horrified of them. Right now, Scott is checking down to see if to make sure a spider hasn't crawled up his pant leg because he's <laughs> letting a spider it live out in here the in the studio. Yeah, I, I don't want to kill it if I don't. There have you to. go. Well, subspecies and different varieties of existing animals are being found all the time. We were talking about the ivory-billed woodpecker that they think went extinct, but yeah. uh, they think has maybe reemerged. So yeah. maybe there's only well, four or five of them in the wild. Strange beasts used to exist, massive ones. Now, of course, our environment now doesn't really support that, but who knows what's left over?
2: Yeah, but the larger it is, the less likely it seems.
1: Exactly. So That's I'm saying one thing. It, so it's not very likely, but at one point, millions of years ago or more, these strange things did roam the earth, And they went away so that is possible now if you're going way out there and it's like this is not just a giant bird but it's a bird man yeah with with a human face leathery wings with strange abilities now that's where you get into the crypt part of the cryptid it's a mystery i know you're a real ancestry buff aren't you always claiming to be related to king canute the great well, I'm not sure about that, but I was
2: able to trace my family back to Inland in the year 160, but it gets a little murky before that.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, maybe there is something to all of your outrageous boasts, because you're on the right track. The Danish king, Canute the Great, who came along about 830 years later, or Canute the Old, was king of England, king of Norway for a little while, and had a hegemony over Sweden. Hegemony. You know, my whole life I've
2: been saying, no, 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 it's okay. My whole life I've been saying hegemony, but I've (laughs) clearly been wrong. I've never had to say it out loud until this commercial. (laughs) Either you're just saying the word hegemony, or you've been watching more lectures on the Vikings over at The Great Courses
1: Plus. Well, both actually. So I guess you could be descended from royalty, but I'm not calling you Scott the Great. Speaking of names, though, I learned that Knuth's grandfather was King Harold Bluetooth,
2: which is where we get the name for the wireless technology you're all probably using right this second.
1: See? History really does have a direct connection to the present. And what better way to get to know history's relevance to your own life than by watching The Great Courses Plus? But it's not just about history over there. You'll get access to courses on everything ranging from music and literature to cooking
2: and self-improvement. With over 500 courses and 6,000 lectures and new ones being added all the time, I can virtually guarantee that there's a lot of topics over at The Great Courses Plus that
1: you'll want to learn about. And why not learn from the top experts and professors in that field? And you can watch them on any device you own, like a laptop, tablet, or phone, or you can stream them on your TV at home. If you start a lecture on one device, you can pick it up right where you left off on another. There's really no excuse not to make yourself smarter and more productive in your spare time with The Great Courses Plus. Now you can see for yourself by taking advantage of a special offer for our listeners. Get one whole month of free, unlimited access to any of their courses. That's right. Start your month-long, unlimited, free trial membership
2: now by signing up at thegreatcoursesplus.com legends. Again, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com
1: legends. I've been getting a lot of compliments on my movement watch ever since I made it my daily driver. You know, that's an automobile enthusiast term, meaning the car you drive every day.
2: Yeah, I know that. (laughs) But you're right. I've been getting a lot of notice for mine, too. I think because it doesn't look like any other watch out there, and people want to know what it is. Then they ask how much it is, and I tell them, and then they really take notice.
1: Yeah, that's because it's hard to believe you can get such a classy looking watch starting at just $95.
2: The two college guys who started the company wanted just that, a quality watch with cutting edge style for an affordable price. They knew what to look for in a high-end watch, but they couldn't afford what was available in stores, so they started their own company. Cut out the middleman so they could sell direct to you and created a
1: movement. And now, just a few years later, they've sold over 500,000 watches in 160 countries. They have a wide selection for men and women, interchangeable straps to change up your look, and a line of really cool sunglasses. Movement Watches features classic
2: designs combined with modern minimalism. And with free shipping and free returns, it couldn't be easier to step up your watch game. Get 15% off today by going to movementwatches.com
1: legends. That's m-v-m-t-watches.com legends. Join the movement.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Blonadine, and this is Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. What would this thing be? You know, it's it's never been described as dinosaur right. in its nature, like yeah. looking like a dinosaur, I should say. It's always been described more as humanoid looking. I guess if it was an animal, an unknown species that screeched and had no neck. Yeah. And was seen at night. Of course, this one was seen in the daytime too. Yeah. It does seem most like an owl, of some kind.
1: Yeah, a screeching the,
2: owl. But there are no owls that are seven feet tall. Now let's <laughs> yeah, say people are making about. a mistake. Right. But and there's not even any owls that are four feet tall. There's not even owls, or even the biggest owl is a foot and a half, right? Exactly. Well, no. So, here's
1: now I'd read another article related to uh, this was either referring to the giant Alaskan bird, or it could it could have been Canada, but it was up north. So the biologists. We're thinking that it's a species of eagle. So it's kind of like an osprey, kind of a, a fish eagle, or, you know, and the guy says, well, they get pretty big. Now the, you know, the wingspans get to be about six to eight feet. Okay, there's a big difference when you double that. Yeah. No, no, you, you saw this species of animal. And yes, it gets to about eight feet. And you described something that was 10 feet, but something that's 20, 25 foot in wingspan, that's a big difference. And I think people, especially pilots, they have to gauge and judge distance visually. Yes. You get pretty good at it. And I don't think a plane load of people would just freak out at, yeah, you might say, look, there's a big bird. you know, But something that size, it's going to make an impression. Well, there is one of the sightings, and it's interesting, if you look in Gray Barker's book,
2: in the back of his book, he reproduced a list of sightings that he borrowed from John Keel. Yeah, There's an appendix of sightings. And one of those sightings, the witnesses cited seeing four of them at once. Wow. Yeah, a family, so, a yeah. flock. So then you get to the idea that it is a cryptid and that there are more than one creature and maybe that's why there were so many sightings is that the people were seeing lots of different ones. There was a flock
1: yeah. of Mothman. Well, the, that's <laughs> they're all over the place. That's yeah. the other strange thing is that there's different species like regular birds, you find them in certain areas of the country or the world and yeah. not others because they don't all adapt to their environments the same way. and so they tend to collect. Now, I punched in a large bird. I was actually looking for something else and I came across a listener email just by accident. Now we do read all these things, I assure you, but this is way back from February 20th and I don't think either of us had responded. We're you know, some of them we have if they're real simple. but uh, I wanted to relay this because it's really just fit what we're talking about here. So uh, he has not given us permission, so I'm just going to call him Rob. But he wrote into us and he says, Hey guys, love the show. I wanted to add that too because it's nice. Just discovered you and I've told all my friends. Also, very nice. Here's the, the good part of the story here I grew up in Texas during the 70s. I remember news stories about a giant bird that was sighted in South Texas. They said it had red eyes and a gorilla face, over six feet tall. As a kid, I remember hearing about this creature. Some thought it was a dinosaur, others a demon. My father, grandfather, and great grandfather were born on the King Ranch, a massive piece of land. The famous King Ranch. Very right? famous, yeah. yes. There's a version of the uh, the Ford uh Yeah, the truck. big fancy version. They're like
2: $50,000 Yeah, I've ridden in one. It's the got King a, Ranch
1: Ford. Oh, it's got really nice catcher's mitt leather in there. It's very, yeah. Yeah, very swanky. Yeah. It's a very famous ranch. So, a massive piece of land. Many tales of ghosts and even werewolves I heard from my grandpa. There you go, Scanwalker. Yeah. They were told to him by his father. So when this giant bird came along, none of my family was surprised. I always wondered what that bird was. I know you have so many stories, but I'd love to hear you bring it to life again. Thanks. Hey, we, we did. did. It. First of all, we're <laughs> answering your email <laughs> ten months, months later, months and months later. But <laughs> 11 no, later. seriously, again, folks, we do read all the emails, but we're just so overwhelmed that they go into a information collective here, so we can search on different terms, and and uh, you know, yeah, we, we keep them all. And yeah, if we come across a story though that's uh, that's related like this, and again, this goes to show me, and hopefully all of you, that these stories take place all over the country, different countries all over the world. you know what of we should strange, do? Strange beasts. We should start asking our
2: people that write us emails to put keywords in them. They're coming into our Google account, which is astonishinglegends at gmail.com. Then we can search things if we're looking for specific stories that relate to something.
1: So yeah, I mean, be be descriptive. Put some searchable keyword terms in there. And yeah. uh, no, we do collect them all. But like like I said, and and when we do actually respond, we put the responses and the letters into a uh, database. Scott yeah. gave up on it because he was doing so many of the letters, yeah. answering them. But I still try and do it. It allows us to filter different things. So yes. Any case, that's a great story. Thanks, Rob. And the part that's interesting, red eyes. Gorilla face.
2: Yeah, it is interesting and imagine this is nothing more than a family of cryptids, some unknown creature that has been misidentified and it happened at a sort of a strange time. Maybe there was uh, coincidences going on with the Men in Black, maybe Woody Derenberger was hallucinating or didn't really see anything. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to be casting sure. away. yeah. But imagine that this creature and its family have a nest in an abandoned building, which is where birds live. Yeah,
1: yeah. And well, maybe
2: do, yeah. when people are coming around, they're getting too close to the babies. Yeah. And on top of that, the mother's got to go out in the daytime and look for food or go dogs <laughs> but or whatever yeah, else. Yeah. Well, I, you right. know, I don't know. Sure, the animal was staring at these people like the elderly man in Chad's illustration for this week's show, which actually that story was from the last part, but still, yes. if you come face-to-face with a wild animal, yeah. it's not unusual to have a staring contest with it. That's a simple matter of dominance, right. and- I wouldn't recommend it though. I uh, would not recommend it. I'm just saying you yeah. might find yourself in that situation where you're looking at each other while both of you try to figure out what's
1: gonna happen next. You don't wanna turn and run because that's, for most wild animals, especially predators, that is a signal to come chase you and eat you, so. Yeah. There's something about the pervasiveness to me, of the red eyes that's yeah. significant because it's not only just in cryptids and in weird stuff like that, it's shadow people. Yeah. Have often been described with red or fiery orange glowing eyes. What is it about wherever these things are coming from that everybody needs red glowing eyes that, yeah. that beams uh, gamma rays at you or causes conjunctivitis? conjunctive conjunctivitis. Yeah, it, it's that's an interesting aspect of it. Maybe I'm out of, getting out of order here, but I was going to say, if they are from somewhere that's not so terrestrial, say, they're bringing with them some of their conditions. And it's, what is it like on the other side or where they're from? Is the air the same? It's like Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass. Like what Alice says, maybe mirror milk isn't good to drink, Kitty. Some things are not, they seem the same, but don't line up. So... The same thing in, in Stranger Things. Remember when they go through, they have to wear suits because uh, the scientist there, maybe it's Matthew Modine, says like, well, the air is not completely the same. It's kind of toxic. Right. You don't know what kind of phenomenon or aspects or side effects that whatever it is are bringing, but the conjunctivitis, that was really, yeah, the welder, that welders get and uh, staring into a Klieg-like, any kind of a carbon arc uh, light, something very bright will cause.
2: All right. Well, okay. moving on from cryptids, we're doing pretty good here. <laughs> okay. Good. I want to talk a little bit about something that came up in some of the earlier parts, and I want to get back to it because we're talking about theories now. And this is part of the idea of the Mothman as a symptom of something else, and not necessarily a cause. Do you mean a curse? I do mean a curse, and I, I want to talk about the Cornstalk curse for one thing. That's the first thing I want to mention here in this particular area because that... On its surface, doesn't sound all that threatening, Cornstalk curse, but I'd like to remind everybody that Chief Cornstalk was the man, the great warrior who was gunned down. In the holding cell. Yeah, Yeah. already in captivity, unarmed, after some soldiers from the fort he was being held at, which was at the crossroads and just outside of Parkersburg, West Virginia, where Indrid Cold also appeared to Woody Derenberger. That's right. Cornstalk cursed the land, cursed the area, cursed everything around it, and a lot of people think that that has led to a great series of disasters in the region, which might go so far as to have contributed to the collapse of the bridge. Right. There's a website that has a list of a lot of the tragedies that were attributed to the Cornstalk curse. It is called prairieghosts.com, and if you go there and look up Cornstalk, you'll find it. The site is Belongs to Troy Taylor, and uh, it's it's really fascinating this the page that he has on the cornstalk Curse under Haunted West Virginia, and he mentions one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight specific incidents that some people have attributed to the cornstalk Curse. Nineteen oh seven, the worst coal mine disaster in American history, Monongah, West Virginia, December six, three hundred and ten miners killed. 1944, 150 people killed by tornadoes in the area. The bridge, 1967, we've already told you about. 1968, an airplane crashed near the Kanawha Airport, killing 35 people. 1970, November 14th, DC-10 crashed in the mountains near Huntington, 75 people killed. 1976, a man came to the Mason County Jail in Point Pleasant, where... His wife, Harriet Sisk, had been arrested for the murder of their child and blew himself up, blowing up the jail with Jeez. bombs. Well. Wow. 1978, freight train derails, dumping thousands of gallons of toxic chemicals. The chemicals contaminated the town's water supply. The wells were abandoned. 78 again, 51 men working on the Willow Island power plant were killed when their scaffolding collapsed. Town of St. Mary's just north of Point Pleasant. So there's been a lot of tragedies there. Now, of course, you can single out a lot of areas, and especially industrial-type areas along rivers. And yeah, absolutely. There might be a common thread. Right. These sound particularly bad to me. There's high death tolls in a lot of them. And it is something to think about when you think about the possibility of a curse, if you believe any of this at all.
1: (laughs) In curses, specifically?
2: if you believe in curses, specifically, I sure know they do in Louisiana. And Well,
1: oh yeah, there's a difference there in that on an individual level, human to human. If you have somebody who believes in witch doctory and they place a curse on you, I'm willing to believe that the person themselves, it's, it's kind of what in psychology, the self-fulfilling prophecy, where you, if you believe that you're going to get sick and sicker and sicker and sicker, you can make yourself physically sick. Yes. The, the mind is a very powerful agent, especially with your own body. So if you believe that, yeah, I believe you can, uh, you can waste away with an illness that is started off in your head because you believed it. Now, can someone or some entity or person put a curse on a whole region who knows? It might be a st- statistical thing, too. And I think the, uh, the skeptic or the scientist would, would look at, well, take any other regions of, of the country where this hasn't happened, what are the likelihood of disasters, and uh, what's the history of yeah. how many things happened? So it's hard to say. I don't know. But it's kind of like when we start talking about The Beast of Bray Road and Linda Godfrey's book. If you take the sightings and you overlay that with the Native American burial mounds, it kind of lines up. Yeah. Then to me that starts, okay, I I can see more of a correlation here. If
2: this is a curse, then so the Mothman is just a manifestation of the curse and how is it
1: even all related? Well, again, that's hard to say because what are the connections, you know, that we can understand? And one thing I will say is that I think, you know, when we're talking about ghosts and different apparitions or uh, it kind of goes into the stone tape theory of that, you know, human energy and emotional energy gets trapped into solid physical objects and can be released for whatever reason at different times. We talked about the stone tape theory in the Queen
2: Mary episode. I can't believe Mm -hmm. I remember that, because that's like our second or third episode. (laughs) Yeah. But
1: I loved that theory. 20 years ago when we started this (laughs) podcast, yeah. It's something strange that people seem to know that happens in theaters, hospitals, churches, places where there's a high amount of human emotion and energy over time. And it doesn't have to all be negative. People die in hospitals, but babies are born there. Funerals are held in churches, but people get married there as well. But there is a lot of high collective human emotion and energy there. and So, so the question is, if you, if you kind of work backwards from there, at the spot of a tragedy, when there's a ton of screaming people swimming for their lives, and they're not all going to make it, and they've just all experienced something horribly tragic and shocking and unexpected... When you back that up, and again, we've talked about time shifts in this little story here, things happening out of time or at the wrong time or not lining up perfectly. So then are the sightings of Mothman kind of a a pre-response, a pinnacle of real human uh, emotion and a high point of human energy being expended? So what I'm saying is that, is this thing showing up because it can sense it, or is it at the wrong time, or is it there to observe Who knows? So it may not be like a premonition. You know what I'm saying? It might be just a mistimed reaction or causal effect.
2: What about this idea of UFOs and nuclear power? Because that's something that interests me too. And it's funny because it was Michael Heineman from the ARC. Yeah. Who lives in Point Pleasant now and is a lifelong resident. And he had mentioned that he had a friend that had this theory that it had something to do with the Defense Logistics Agency and them maybe possibly, yeah. and his it's friend a, didn't say No, it's say a good this. theory. I mean, yeah. it's,
1: it's a good line of thinking I'm, I'm, because it's solid. You know, you're starting yeah. off on a, a good ground there.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm putting words in the guy's mouth because we never spoke to whoever this person is. This is hearsay to us. We just got a broad overview. But this is what I'm taking that overview and we're extrapolating on it. Yeah. And what I'm saying that I think the guy probably thought was that the, the Defense Logistics Agency, which is responsible for moving materials around related to war weapons and things that you would need in the time of war has a, a location there. Right. And it's entirely plausible that at this point in the late 60s, there might have been top secret or classified movement of enriched uranium or highly enriched uranium right. through the area. Right. We have since been in contact with a listener who I've had extensive discussions with who works at a nuclear power plant and yeah. is in charge of fuel handling. And he has explained to me the protocols you have to go through. And right. it includes like walking the train tracks and making sure oh, yeah. like six miles of track yeah. and no photographs and all of this. It's a serious operation because you don't want that stuff falling into the wrong hands.
1: No, and you don't and, want an accident. You want this, a bunch of stuff spilling over because again, there was a uh, a rock on the track that was large enough to cause a derailment. Yeah. And now you get a spill.
2: Yeah. So there's a lot that goes into that. And you can imagine during the late 60s when there were more concerns about war that they might have been moving things through there. And it would have behooved them to generate as many distractions from what they were doing as possible for the sake of national defense.
1: It's just the fact that they're so wacky. I still don't know how
2: you make a mothman to do that. You're not going to be able to dress a guy up and have him defy (laughs) physics and give people conjunctivitis. That's what I'm saying. It's
1: it's a little theatrical. Sure, I'll give you that. But it's a weird way to go to create a diversion.
2: And here's the other thing. Beyond the diversion theory, there is a history of nuclear weapons and nuclear power plants having involvement with UFOs. Oh,
1: well, yeah. And, yeah, For since their existence.
2: Yeah, so, and it, a lot of that is documented. Some of it, it is, is not public knowledge, but we actually have a book called Faded Giant, which you can get. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's by Robert Salas, oh, Salas. Yeah, and, and, and James Klotz, K-L-O-T-Z.
1: Right. right. It, it talks about the Malmstrom Air Force Base incident. That's one of the big ones.
2: Yeah, what happened at Malmstrom?
1: Well, very briefly... Uh, People at the missile site had reported seeing a UFO, and right after that, or concurrent with that, the missiles go offline. Right. Now, these are independently controlled missile silos because they have safeguards in place to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen. You can't just flick a switch or hack into it and then it shuts down the whole chain. In case of an attack or counterattack, These things need to be controlled independently. So whatever it was that shut all these down... Yeah, these are isolated systems. These systems do not connect to
2: the outside world beyond lines of communications from humans to humans, at least at this time. Right, there
1: are redundancies. And this is not the only case, but it's a big one. It's one of the big stories. This certainly happens, I believe, the data is that a flap or a incident has happened at every nuclear power plant location In North America. Yeah.
2: Every single nuclear power plant in North America has had a sighting or something unusual happen relating to UFOs. Right.
1: In the connection between a nuclear power plant and a missile site, a nuclear missile site, two different things going on there. One theory is that somehow with the nuclear power plant, there is a draw of energy from these things, these craft, these orbs. They're recharging. Like Possibly your, so. Like yeah. your ultrasonic toothbrush. They no, hover they, they, over because no, Scott was asking, it's like, what do they just yeah. hook up? They, they pull out the cord? Yeah, well, that's the thing. How do you just, <laughs> just recharge in? in the air? That's what I was and asking. They, they get there like, oh man, the socket doesn't fit. Yeah. Ah, We're going to go back to uh, a you know, plug back in. Imagine now your cell phone. I think the Samsungs do that. It's, it's contact charge or your Sonic Care toothbrush. There's nothing to plug in. Just by being close, it picks up the, uh, the electricity there and charges itself. Now, in the case of the missile bases being shut down, The big theory there is that it's a show that you people don't know what you're playing with. This is very dangerous stuff, and we can take your toys away from you at any time we wish. That's the message there. It's like, yeah, you think you're smart, playing this brinksmanship game, but you guys got to take care of this planet. You guys got to watch out for each other, and there are bigger forces at work here than you are willing to acknowledge. Right, And that brings me to... I mean, this is all
2: speculation, <laughs> right. but... There's no thread here. That's no, coherent, there's no but thread, yeah, But right. it brings me to the idea that maybe there was enriched uranium in the area of Point Pleasant at the DLA, and that was drawing in the UFOs and the men in black, and maybe even the Mothman, who apparently, possibly emitted radiation himself. What I was thinking
1: is that somehow... And it's the eyes, whatever. It's silly. It's Superman. He's got the X-ray vision. He can, uh, he can fry stuff up. But what is there about that gaze from the giant red reflector eyes that is radioactive or at least is going to give you pink eye or conjunctivitis? So here's the question, though. Once this had all concluded and the bridge had collapsed and people are now dealing with that, I believe I'd heard a report that people saw orbs and craft leaving the area. Oh, Either yeah. right after or the next day or something that like okay show's over here. I haven't read that. I, ha- I had heard that report. Yeah, I don't know. I, that, I don't know if that was from the documentary I'd watched, but that is one account that I had heard that. Well, we do know that activity died down.
2: Yes, that most we do know it, most yeah. of it.
1: That after this incident had happened, most of the activity. Yeah, people have was talked about encounters,
2: but they're not. Yeah. you can't attribute them to the level of things that were happening in those thirteen months. <laughs>
1: is ending in a weird place, isn't it? You can wait until November 30th for our next show or watch out for the commercial-free bonus episode we're releasing in a few days to enjoy with your turkey and stuffing. We'd like to thank Harrys.com, Squarespace,
2: The Great Courses Plus, and Movementwatches.com for sponsoring us. Please remember that supporting our sponsors helps support the show.
0: Hi, my name is Emily Gorey, Ross Woodward. And I give permission to Astonishing Legends podcast for the show to use however they see fit. Slide,
2: our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees,
1: and the theme is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to the ARC and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com, as well as Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, Tumblr, Google, and Instagram. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night. <laughs>
0: according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Check.